24 hours make 40 some odd degrees colder right now than it was this time yesterday. And so, you know, if you stay here in Alabama long, you, you'll get the kind of weather that you like. It may be just passing through, you know, on the way to, from one extreme to the other. But, but we are glad that uh, we're able to be here and that you're able to be here tonight in spite of the fact that it is cold outside. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to the book of Joshua. That's where we've been studying from, of course, all year this, uh, this year. And uh, as you know, we're running out of year. And so we're running out of year faster than we're running out of the book of Joshua. And so I'm going to jump ahead tonight. In uh, the last lessons that we've been talking about, of course, we, we've been seeing the division of the land taking place. And, and at the last lesson, as we were talking about that particular one, there were still seven tribes that had not yet possessed the possessions that God had already given them. And so he encourages them, Joshua encourages them to go and to take the possessions that God had already given them. And so we talked about that, those unpossessed possessions last week. But tonight I want us to jump ahead in the book of Joshua for the sake of time because we are running out of year. And I want us to understand that, that everything does come to pass that God had promised them. If you go to Joshua chapter 21 and you begin reading about verse 43, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, or thus rather the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it. See, they fulfilled what Joshua had encouraged them to do. They took possession of it, and they settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one of the word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Tonight we could camp out right there and, and preach on that one all night long. But I just want to observe that as we look at that, we see that God fulfilled his promises to the children of Israel. But let's go ahead into chapter 22 tonight. And I want us to focus as we begin here on the first five verses. At that time, the time after, you know, we, what we just read, we, we're just traveling over into the next chapter here. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now you remember these two and a half tribes, they had made a deal, as it were, with Moses as they were coming in. They had defeated some of the kings on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and they said, we would like to have this land. And Moses promised that land to them. He says, we've got to go on over. We've got to help the other tribes possess their land. But they fulfilled what they were told to do. And we'll see as we continue reading that. He summons them and, and begins to make uh, some words to them. Uh, uh, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. You've not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. Now the charge of the Lord your God was this, that they had to go over. But how many of us have, have ever heard that old saying, be sure your sins will find you out? 
You ever heard that? You ever said that? Well, back in the book of Numbers, chapter 32, verse 23, it was the Lord through Moses who said that to these people. And that's where we read that phrase in the Bible. I guess it's where it actually originated. It originated with God. If you want to do what you're supposed to, be sure that your sins will find you out. That was first spoken to this two and a half tribes. But now they've done what they were supposed to do. And he's called them together. Uh, there was no reason for, for any sin or shame to come upon them. They had stood by their brothers. They had helped them conquer their land. And they had helped them to take possession of their land. Look at verse number 4. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised to them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment of the Lord that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and keep his commandments, and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. You know, that's pretty reminiscent of what we find in the New Testament, isn't it? When Jesus is asked what is the first and greatest commandment, you know, it's sort of uh, stated here as we, as we see that. But uh, as Joshua's charging them to go home, go back, you know, and spend time with your wives. Go back and farm your land. Go back and build your houses. Go back in peace. But just remember that when you go back, you must remain faithful to God. Now, you wouldn't expect Joshua to tell them any, anything different than that. You wouldn't expect God to remind Joshua through inspiration to tell them anything other than that. And, you know, because they had been faithful in fulfilling the promises that, that they had had to make and, and carrying out the will that God uh, had made them promise to do, you wouldn't expect them to go home really and do anything else other than to continue on in the way that God had instructed them to do. But you know something? If you continue reading there in chapter 22, you're going to find that, that these folks, you know, on the way home, they decided to do something. Look down in verse number 10. And when they came to the region, this is the, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, when they came to the region of the Jordan that's in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, built there an altar by the Jordan. An altar, as the English Standard Version says, of imposing size. In other words, a rather large altar. And as we'll read in just a little while, I'll go ahead and inform you of this, it was a replica, it was a copy of the altar that was set up before uh, the tent of meeting, before the tabernacle. And so, you know, they, they construct this, uh, this altar so that, well, so that it would cause problems. Now, I don't really think that that was the reason they were constructing the altar, but I just want to say tonight that it did cause some problems, that, that it caused some things to... Uh, to be uh, uh, misunderstood, a great misunderstanding, if you will. They even gave that all their name. A little bit later on, if you go down to verse number 34, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, called the altar 
witness, if you're reading from the English Standard Version, for they said it's a witness between us that the Lord is God. If you go back to the Old King James Version, now there's a different word that's used there the, as they name the altar. They call the altar Ed. They call the altar Ed. The word Ed evidently just means witness. And so, as we were seeing the translation from the King James Version, they call the altar Ed. So that's the reason we have the name of the lesson that you saw at the very beginning on the road to Ed. But what about this great misunderstanding? What about the, the problems that took place? It, it was intended to be a visible witness. It was intended to be a witness of the close brotherhood that existed between the tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan and the tribes on the western side of the Jordan. And that's what they intended it for. We'll see that unfold tonight as we go through our lesson. But it caused a great misunderstanding. Now, if you have your bulletin from this morning, Randy announced that tonight's lesson was on the, on the back. I didn't have the one that Justin was going to preach, and so I decided to, to fill in the blank tonight. We don't normally do that. We normally do that on Sunday. But we'll look and we'll see some of the blanks. We need to be careful about making judgments based on hearsay. Now, where do we get that from? Well, go to the next verse. Verse 11, we saw verse 10. Go to verse 11. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, And the people of Israel heard it said. Behold, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. They heard it said. Now, Remember verse 10 says that they built this altar. It was of an imposing size, a great and large altar. Word of that got back to the rest of the tribes. They heard it said. Hearsay. And so what did they do when they heard it said that these people had built this great big altar? Well, when the people of Israel heard it, verse number 12... The whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. They had no idea what was going on, but they misunderstood. As we'll see tonight, they misunderstood. And they jumped to a conclusion. And their conclusion is this. These people have built this altar and they have done something wrong. And it's so wrong that we're going to turn on these people who have left their land and come with us and helped us to fight and to take and possess our own land. We're going to turn on these people who have kept their word and, and, and fought with us. They have stood beside us. We have known them. We're going to turn on them because we heard something about them. How many times has that been the case in the life of people? I heard. And because I heard something about somebody, it changed my whole outlook of them. I jumped to the conclusion they have done something wrong because I heard. 
somebody say something about somebody. These folks badly misjudged their brethren. Look down to verse 16, chapter 22. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. You see, they send some representatives. They send, send Eleazar and some other representatives before they attack. Thus says the whole congregation of Israel. What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Their conclusion was, y'all have jumped ship. You're unfaithful. You turned your back on God. You've rebelled against Him. They were fearful. The people of, uh, of the other tribes, the tribes on the western side, you know, they, they wanted to know. But according to verse 21, the Bible says, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows, and that Israel itself knows. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No. But we did it from fear that in a time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan the boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord, so your children might take vengeance or might take, uh, make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in the presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings so your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion with the Lord. And we thought if this, uh, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we'd just simply tell them, Behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings or sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, or other than the altar of the Lord, our God that stands before his tabernacle. They got all bent out of shape. They were going to attack. They were going to destroy them. Because they heard it said, they built an altar. They built a symbol that says, we trust God. And we want in our future generations people to know we trust God. And we want your children to know that we're part of the family of God, God's people. Even though we're on the other side of the Jordan River, 
And Moses gave us that land. We want it to be a symbol that, that says, we're with you. And we've always been with you. Oh, they, they really got that one wrong, didn't they? They really messed that one up. Great big misunderstanding. A great big misjudgment. You know, they're not the only ones that misjudge folks. Eliab misjudged his own brother David, didn't he? He, he thought he'd just come down to watch the battle. His daddy had sent him down there to bring cheese and, and bread down there, but he thought he'd just come to watch the battle. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. Samuel, he misjudged Hannah, did he? He saw her lips moving, moving, and he didn't hear any words that she was speaking. She was pouring her heart out to God because she wanted a child. And Samuel, 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 the prophet, God's prophet, called her a drunk woman. Why are you drunk? Get on out of here. You drunk woman. He misjudged her. You ever read Matthew or chapter 7, beginning at verse 1? Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, what judgment you pronounce, with that you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, what we're talking about back here in the book of Joshua, chapter 22, is the prime example of what Jesus says don't do. Don't make hasty judgments. Don't misjudge people. Don't use the wrong basis. Don't use hearsay, for example, to judge people. Folks in our society, in our time, have said, hey, we can't make any judgment at all. That's not what he said. You know, if you go to the book of John, you know it quite well, chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances. Jesus you know, sort of explains it, or John helps us to understand what is said there in Matthew chapter 7. In John chapter 7, it says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. That's exactly opposite of what the children of Israel on the, east, the western side of the Jordan did. They heard, and they just jumped right into it. It looks like our brothers have turned their back on God, but they hadn't. We need to be very careful about judging on hearsay. You know, we owe it to others to allow them to explain. As I was reading through and studying for this uh, lesson tonight, I, I saw some commentators talking about it, and they said, you know, the whole problem could have been avoided if the two and a half tribes had just told their, their brethren what they were doing. And, and I agree, to some extent, prior communication could have helped out, but they had no idea that their brethren would misjudge them so badly. They were doing it innocently, 
And they had no idea that their brethren would, would, would turn on them and suspect them, have that great suspicion that they were doing wrong. Aren't you thankful that the tribes on the western side decided to let them explain? Aren't you glad that they did send Eleazar and, uh, and the heads of the families to go and to talk to them before they actually made the attack? What a great travesty of justice would have taken place if they had not done that. But in our day and time, it doesn't always happen that way, does it? Or we may not shoot somebody, or we may not assassinate them in some way, you know, with a, with a physical uh, instrument of death. But we'll sure tell other folks how bad they are. If we don't assassinate them in person, we'll assassinate the character. We owe it to others to allow them to explain. You know, I think that's probably one reason. When we turn to the pages of the New Testament, that we're instructed whether we're at fault or whether we think we've been faulted, we've been sinned against. We're instructed by Jesus to go to the other person and talk with them. Sometimes folks have no idea that you think that you have been wronged. Same was true here. We allow it, we owe it to others to allow them to explain. Well, what about some other things here before we run out of time tonight? We need to remember that the effects of sin linger. The effects of sin linger. Look at verses 17 through 20 of Joshua chapter 22. Here's one of the reasons that the children of Israel on the western side of Jordan had, had, uh, had a problem with what they had done, or at least they thought they did. As they come and they speak with them, some of these things come out. Beginning in verse 17, the Bible says, Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves? And for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you must turn away this day from following the Lord, that you too... In other words, if you continue reading there, what you're going to find is they think it was a continuation, that, that they were doing basically the same thing as, as the people did back before they began the conquest of the land when the Midianites caused them to go off into sin. And as a result of that, 24,000 people were killed, according to Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 5. 24,000 died, and they said, we still haven't got completely rid of it. All these years later, we're having a problem with it. You know, they knew that sin in the camp could affect the whole congregation. It did that we read about and studied about back in Joshua chapter 7 when Achan sinned and hid his sin. The people weren't able to defeat their enemies. Matter of fact, they were defeated themselves. Some of them lost their own lives. They were concerned. They did have a proper concern. It was, it was incumbent upon them to, to make sure that each tribe did what was right in the sight of God because of the fact that sin lingers so long. You know, the same is true in our own lives. 
There are things that sometimes we do that we wish we could take back because we're still suffering from them, from the results of the things that we've done years later. Because sin can wreak havoc for years to come. Families can be destroyed because of the things that maybe one family member does. Communities can reel from the things that happen within a community. Churches, churches can suffer. Congregations can suffer for years to come because of the sins of one person. When I moved to Atwood, the preacher who had been there prior to me had only been there for a short time, and he did some things that were just not right. And I knew about some of those things. Basically, even the way that he resigned was not right. And as I would speak to folks in the community some of which had been visiting on that day. Years later, they still remembered it. They still had a problem with it. When our lives affect other people, and they do, we can expect them to sort of watch after us and watch for us because perhaps they don't want to suffer the effects of sin from year, for years to come. What about a person who gets drunk, drives, gets into an accident, perhaps paralyzes himself? Or, even worse, kills a child in another car because this person wanted to party. The effects of sin linger for years. You know what's sad about that sometimes? We don't understand that to its fullest extent. And we have a hard time getting over it ourselves. I don't mean from the standpoint of, you know, getting over the effects of sin, but even forgiving others. And putting the best light of forgiveness on them. You know, we have a word for that, don't we? We even call that a grudge. And a lot of times grudges are brought on because of the effects of sin that continue to linger. We could talk about it more extensively tonight, but we all know that sin can linger for years. Here's another thing that we can learn from this chapter. We need to be concerned about make preparations for generations to come. Again, look at verse 27 of chapter 22. 
they built this altar to be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in His presence. They didn't want the, the children on the western side of the Jordan to say to the children on the eastern side of the Jordan, you're not part of us. You see, they were looking out for years to come. Folks, we're standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. And, you know, it's quite amazing when you start thinking about those who've gone before us and the struggles that they faced. For those of you who have been in our Restoration Studies class, our third Thursday class this year, we, we've studied the Restoration Movement. We started out, you know, in some of the more famous cases of, uh, of the Restoration, but, but we concluded just this past Thursday, and we discussed the Restoration Movement right here in Walker County, Alabama. And you know, as we, as we think about the things that, that, that took place right here, it's interesting because many of the things, many of the people right here in Alabama who began to turn back to the Lord and, and, and to take the Bible alone as, as their sole guide of, of religious matters, they had never heard when they began to preach these things of men like Alexander Campbell or Barton W. Stone, they began studying the Bible right here in Fed County, in Walker County, and they began preaching the old gospel the way that it was preached in the first century. Later on, they'd hear about Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell, but they had been preaching it before these men even found the New Testament truth. And it's so amazing to see that. One of the first congregations in our county is right down the road from us. You may not know it, but one of the first congregations in Walker County was New Hope, just down the road. We studied about that. It was begun by a preacher by the name of Jeremiah Randolph. And, and, and Brother Randolph, he wasn't taught the gospel from some other source except his family began studying the New Testament gospel. They called it Lost Creek Church of Christ. It was begun back in the 1830s. Later became known as the Still Better Church of Christ. Before in 1875 it became known as the New Hope Church of Christ. There were others in our own area so interesting. Who started the Shiloh congregation, the McCollum congregation? Perhaps even some of the ones who had been taught from some of these others. Tonight we're standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. Where would we be without the faithful who have gone before us? We went through so many trials and struggles and hardships and all of the things that went with it to bring the truth of the gospel to this area so that we today, generations later, can continue preaching and teaching truth. What's more than that, what will the generations to come right here in Walker County 
do. Will they continue to stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before them, us, years to come? What are we doing for the generations to come? You see, as the two and a half tribes, as they were traveling back to their home, Joshua sent them home as they were traveling back. They weren't just traveling back to get home, you know, because, oh, we're finally free, we're going back home. They're thinking about the future. And so should we. Where would we be without the faithful who've gone before us? Well, here's another one. Always respect the pattern. Look at verse 28 very quickly. And we thought if this should be said of us to our, or to our descendants in time to come, you know that you're not part of us, we should say, Behold, look, the copy of the altar of the Lord in which our fathers or which our fathers made. They didn't make it for the burnt offerings and so forth. They were forbidden to do that. But they could say, look, right here is a copy. This is what we believe in. This is where we have been. You see, their intention was that their copy could be used to prove that they believed in doing things the Lord's way. But they made sure to point out that it was a copy it was based on the pattern. Even though it was large and could be seen, it was based on the pattern. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, or chapter 1, rather, verse 13, Paul writes and says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow the pattern. God has always had a pattern for his people to follow. Always. Noah was given a pattern, wasn't he, for the construction of the ark? It's to be this wide, this long, this tall, one door, one window. Pitched inside and outside with tar. Moses was given a pattern by which to construct the tabernacle and even a pattern for its furnishings, wasn't he? God gave Israel a pattern to follow and bring down the walls of Jericho, didn't he? March around it. You remember that when we studied it back in Joshua chapter 6? Naaman was given a pattern by which he was to be cleansed from leprosy. Go dip in the river seven times. The New Testament is God's pattern for all responsible mankind today. And unless we follow the pattern of sound words, as Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, we're not going to build what the Lord wants built. We're not going to find the path that the Lord wants us to find. God's always had a pattern for his people. But then here's another one, and it's the last one we'll talk about tonight. Rejoice and be glad when unity can be maintained. Joshua chapter 22, beginning at verse 30 and going through verse 33. When Phinehas the priest and the chief, uh, chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words 
that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know the Lord is in our midst because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the chiefs returned to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, and uh, the land of Gilead to the land of, uh, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel, brought that word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. The people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land uh, where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. Do you see the difference that was made? When they went and they spoke with them, they found out, hey, you know, we're still brethren. Nothing really has been done wrong. They were glad. They were glad that they could maintain the unity. When they came back and told the rest of the people who were prepared for war, you know, here's what we found. It pleased them. It was good to them. They were glad. They blessed the Lord. They praised the Lord. They were so happy. We don't have to go to war in unity. We've got brethren still. You know, sometimes it seems as though folks, or some folks at least, are disgruntled, even if others are proven innocent. And it just makes them mad that, that so and so, you know, because I heard it said that he or she did this or that or thought this or that. It just almost makes them mad because they hold that suspicion even though they're proven innocent. You know, I know fellow preachers in Christ who make accusations and when those accusations are proven false, they, as the news media today says, they double down on it and they just write them up again in the bulletin trying to find something else. That's not the way these folks acted. That's not the way God wants us to act. Listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes and says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now watch verse 3 eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager. When the differences were ironed out, when the misunderstanding became an understanding, they were happy. And they went home and they rejoiced and they praised God that everything was as it should be. How many of us would do the same? Oh, it would be easy for us if we were on the road to Ed, you know, and it was just an altar that, that didn't affect us that it was so long ago. But I'm not talking about that misunderstanding. I'm talking about the one you've had with a brother or sister in Christ. I'm talking about the one you've had with a family member. I'm talking about the one... That's affecting you today. 
I don't know what it is. But if there's something like that in your life, what would stop you from being like these folks? The only thing I can think of that it would be is spelled with a three-letter word. S-I-N. Perhaps it's not on the part of the other person, but you see, if we continue to hold out when things are really as they should be, but we won't admit to that, we're the ones who has the problem. It can't be that way in our lives. just can't. You know, as we've studied through the book of Joshua this year, there are so many lessons that are just tied up in these chapters. Joshua is really a, a history book of what's going on, but there are so many little stories and details and things that, that are there so that we can learn from them. The question is, will we? Will we? We say the Bible belongs to the Lord, and it does. That's been a theme for this year. There's no better book in the Bible to show that the Bible belongs to the Lord. But you know what? When the battle is being fought, the battle is fought by God's people. But in order for God to be with his people, his people must be with him. And if we, you know, won't maintain the unity with our brethren that the Lord intends for us to have inside a congregation, inside a family, inside a community, and wherever it may be that it's deserving, then how could we expect the Lord to fight the battle for us? So many things that we could learn. I could talk about more tonight. There, there's so many other things that we've skipped over even because we just didn't have time. We were, we're running out of time this year for the book itself. But I hope that our study has been beneficial for us. And I hope tonight's study has been beneficial for us. It's not been an evangelistic kind of lesson, but if there are one or more here who know that they need to be baptized for the remission of their sins or would like to know more about that, then we would love to study with you or we would love to assist you in your obedience to Christ tonight. It may be tonight that you understand that you, having become a Christian years ago, know that something stands between you and God and you want to make that right. Let us pray with you right now as together we stand.